Welcome to episode two of the Sloppy Sober podcast. With me is Allison Summers, our host. Allison, hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm Michael Yetman. I'm in the, I don't know, I'm the producer. Yeah. I'm the, the guy behind the controls. I look more important than I am. You got, all, I mean, there is a lot happening here. <laughs> there's a little iPad. There's what looks like a synth. uh, Yeah, you know, I'm a dress for the job you want guy. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily be able to do it. Just look like you can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is episode two. I'm excited to keep going. We got through episode one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We did. The hardest part. Yeah. And uh, Allison, I have, I had a plan for today, but um, I'm throwing that plan into the wind to tell you that uh, I have been dreaming a lot lately. Okay. And uh, I, I think I told you I've recently uh, I've recovered from a bout of COVID. Mm-hmm. During that time, I determined I don't think I can smoke weed like I used to, and it's, mm. it's exiting my life. So it's been a few weeks without getting high. Okay. And I am, I am dreaming. I am vivid dreams, harsh dreams, both violent and. Not violent. Violent a dreams? Few, a few, yeah. Violent but, dreams about weed or just like your dreams are becoming more? My dreams, there was like a week where like three nights in the row, in a row I had these vivid dreams where I was being attacked by people I know, by entities, but these like insanely vivid dreams. And this is... Are a, you... On a, are you on a nicotine patch? That I'm on used to nothing. Happen, that happened to me when I did the nicotine patch. I had weird dreams. That's interesting because I'm on nothing right now. Okay. I I used to be a nicotine guy. Yeah. Used to be a weed guy. Used to be a drink guy. Uh, are you detoxing from weed? Is that an actual thing? I that's what I don't know. I I have no idea. But mm. I want to know your experience because it also happened when I first stopped drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. I was I was living in China. And um, I remember there was like a month after about like 30 days or so of like not drinking, not being mm-hmm. involved. All of a sudden my dreams were just, I mean, hyper real to where I'd wake up tired sometimes. Yeah. I mean, cause it's like emotionally, like I remember, so I didn't have a lot of drinking dreams, but when, when I first stopped drinking, they probably were a little bit more prevalent. I hardly ever have them now, uh, but when I remember when I did, I would wake up feeling that feeling, you know how when even in dreams, when you something weird happens, you're like, oh, my boyfriend did this. I'm mad at him. But that was like just a dream. I would wake up feeling disturbed. Like I just, just lost everything that I had put into my sobriety that's okay. So that's an interesting point because I woke up, I woke up guilty because I had one dream in particular that I remember where I was trying to not drink through the whole dream. Mm-hmm. And then I end up getting hammered in my dream. Like, and I woke up feeling guilty. Like I needed to tell someone like, I don't, I promise I don't drink anymore. And like, but I got hammered in my, to the point where I woke up like, <gasps> like nerve like clutching my pearls when yeah. i woke up 
I mean, I feel like I, I don't know. You know, I really have no idea what dreams mean. I don't really remember any dreams anymore now when I dream or when I go to sleep. I don't. I don't it's just total darkness I don't for, remember. for eight hours. I, yeah, I, I, that's what I, I imagine being dead is like. I'm serious because I just go to sleep and wake up and that's it. And I, there's no, there's no time. Like I just go to sleep and wake up. And uh, sometimes I like, is this what it's like? I'm unplugged. That's uh, I actually am envious. I'm jealous of that because I, I don't, I dream probably maybe I, maybe I have uh, a healthier subconscious. You might, or uh, what's up? Uh, I probably brain damage. Mm, good point. Yeah. Good point. Your brain. <laughs> I don't know. It's from that long boxing career that you had. No, I, I fell a lot when I drank. <laughs> it is raining so hard outside right now. Oh, wow. Woof. That's a little, little something for the podcast. Yeah. That's how you know we're real and we're real people doing mm-hmm. it in a real place. You can hear. We're not in some studio, super hyped up, wealthy elites. We're, we're in a house. We're in a house. We're regular people. We're regular people. Yeah. No, I, so I feel like your dream stuff is, I feel like that's very normal. But the question really is, Michael, why do you think you were dreaming about it? So this is a, that's a great question because I, I thought about it and I did the only thing I could think of, which is turn to the almighty internet for an answer. (laughs) And, uh, you know, like anything else, there's all these forums and all these, uh, groups that have uh, their version of what they think the answer is. And I did look at a few things. And one of the things I thought was interesting is when you drink, it helps uh, subdue the mind, which, you know, obviously, if you use anything, it kind of affects this why you use it. Yeah. You drink because it feels good. It makes you whatever. It uh-huh. numbs everything. But um, what I learned about is that we have two types of sleep when you go to sleep. There's REM sleep, which we all know, rapid eye movement. Okay. And non-REM sleep. And uh, whenever you're a heavy user, you reduce the amount of REM sleep that you have. Um, So then when you come back from not drinking, your REM sleep explodes. And so you have more of this like your brain relaxing in a natural way. And you have all these natural things being released, but they're not being subdued by alcohol. So your your brain is being flooded with all this new, whatever you know. I'm not emotions, brain. feelings, right? Uh, processing. When you drink, you aren't able to process things. And I think that's properly. It. I think. I think that's what happens is you're going to sleep fully conscious of your day. Versus if you get drunk, you don't think about your day. You just kind of fall asleep in the state where you're already kind of asleep and then Mm. you just close your eyes. Yes. Or apparently like you do, you just black out. I just black out (laughs) like what I did when I was drinking. Also, a reminder, we're not experts on any of these things. So we're just talking about our experience being sober. Uh, 100%. So not, just a reminder. Yeah, we are not professionals in any way. We don't know what we're talking about. The only reason I bring up the, um, the dream... The dreaming issue is it has affected me during the day in being creative. What do you mean? So I don't know about you, but if I wake up already tired, I'm a, I'm a slow moving guy. If I, if I didn't get rested well, I am a machine that takes some movement before I wake up. Okay. And, uh, if I wake up exhausted and I feel drained from the night, Mm -hmm. my best creative time is in the morning. Okay. 
And if I can't get my brain going and functioning in the morning, then I can't write. I feel subdued. I don't feel like I can actually move forward creatively in my day. And I've been uh, stagnated. Have you have you thought about writing down your feelings about that dream to get all that out first? Now, Allison, I was raised in the Midwest, <laughs> all right? I'm not, you gotta I'm write not some down, Nancy boy. Look, look, <laughs> stop it. No, I bet if you tried to just write down, like, that dream made me feel this way. I had a dream about this. Just, like, get it out of your brain and onto paper. Sometimes that has helped me in sobriety. I'm, uh, so that's a good idea because I do journal already. Mm-hmm. But I, this is something that, from a creative standpoint, is still new to me. Journaling my life versus just writing jokes in the mm-hmm. morning or writing stuff down that I think could be a premise. Mm-hmm. I have been writing about myself in a journal that's specifically not comedy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when I do that, when I look at that, do you have any issues when you stopped drinking and you're still pursuing creative work, you're still doing these things where when you have this regular life, did you struggle kind of looking at yourself and actually taking yourself serious in any way with your cre- like with being creative? I struggle every day with taking myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. Some people would say that's the Virgo in me. (laughs) Some people say would say that's the alcoholic perfectionist perfectionism in me. I struggle being too serious. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Too Sucks. serious in in what way? What do you mean by too Taking serious? Taking it all too seriously. Like thinking that this stuff really matters. Oh, like I'm When it artist. doesn't matter. But my best friend, Adam, he uh, he is so brilliant uh, sometimes, uh, most of the time. But he also, he'll say this thing to me and be like, he'll be like, it's not that deep, Allison. Like, it's not that deep. And it's like, that's what I want to say to you about these dreams. Like, it's just not that deep. But if we choose to make it deep, if we, like, fixate on it, then, like, you could be driving yourself, your brain. I think of my alcoholic brain, or which is my brain. <laughs> I think I think of my brain as, unfortunately, something that is trying to kill me. Because there is, like, a little alcoholic in there that's constantly like, hey, when are you going to drink again? You know, I, I feel like that is, but sometimes it's really loud and most of the time it's, I can't hear it at all, but I think it comes out in ways like if I had a drinking dream and I obsess about it, then it's like, I can't take it. I have to drink. Or like, uh, if I'm mad at somebody over something petty, then I have to like, look at that and be like, I think this is just like my alcoholism trying to get me to be mad about something. So eventually I'll just like act out. It's a, it's an interesting point because, well, the first thing of um, your brain trying to kill you, I forget who does the quote and I will look it up and I'll, I'll correct myself later. But there's a, a quote that is um, the more self-aware you become, the more aware of who you are, the brain realizes like, oh, we know too much now. That whole idea of ignorance is bliss because mm-hmm. you're not aware of what suffering is, of what life mm-hmm. is, the whole thing in Stoic philosophy. But yeah. I also love this idea about the brain trying to talk you into drinking. So I have been seeing a lot of alcohol. I don't know if it's uh, 
the Bernstein bear effect. We were Bernstein oh, Bernstein. Yeah, man, I for, yeah, yeah. forget what the actual effect is called. The Mandela effect. Mandela effect. Yeah. I have been Shout seeing... out to John Wilson. <laughs> wow, you were right there mm-hmm. with it. I love mm-hmm. that. I, um, I have been seeing a lot of alcohol commercials lately. And of course, advertising is built to make it seem appealing. Mm-hmm. But I told my wife the other day, we were sitting there and I was like, you know what I do miss? It's like one cool beer on a hot day like after you've worked outside yeah and i told her, I was like you know but i'm romanticizing this idea that i could have one cold beer yeah. after working out that yeah you're romanticizing the fact that's like not reality i i like that's that's a tough pill to swallow because it's like that is fantasy like for me, I could never just have one cold beer. You got me fucked up. You've got to be fucking kidding me. But it it is interesting because do you have that where you're like, well, I'm in control now? No, no. But it, because I look at it as, I feel like I'm in control, and I wonder how much of that is because I'm not testing myself. You know what I mean? I'm not putting myself in a situation to be like, well, I'll just have a beer. You know what I mean? It's more of. I've cut myself off from alcohol completely for a reason. Mm-hmm. So is, do you think it's easier for me to look at that from my perspective of I haven't tripped up. I haven't made any mistakes with alcohol. So, I mean, I could probably have, you know what I mean? Where that thought that process comes from. That is your brain. I have that bit about my brain being an asshole, mm-hmm. you know, and that I think, again, I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. I think that's just you trying to be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Alcohol is like cunning baffling interesting very powerful so how do you play with that then when you're i mean part of being a creative is kind of finding a way to romanticize things make it interesting universal make Mm -hmm. it a connecting force so when you you're able to segment that idea away but what about how does that affect when you look at other stuff do you become kind of cynical about other things that you look at like what do you mean what do you mean so, like, for me, I uh, I could romanticize the idea of a single beer sitting next to my wife in a lawn chair after mm-hmm. I mowed the yard like some grown <laughs> old man, right? And I <laughs> yeah. just sit there and we reflect on our day and very yeah. Norman Rockwellian. Okay. In that same vein, I can also romanticize taking a tumbler with just a two-finger pour of Jameson on stage with me and just you think about it. alcohol too much i, I do i don't think about alcohol hardly ever i i so i'm 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 being not i'm not being judgmental but me saying like you think about alcohol too much i'm like that's that is like i just don't think that way anymore because i have come to and i don't know if you're here or not so this might be a different whole different conversation of like I have accepted that like that will never be a possibility fully, fully have accepted. Now that doesn't mean that these feelings don't creep in of like, God, I wish I could just have that 15 minutes of freedom. There is a song by Suf John Stevens, Suf John Stevens. I think that's his name. Uh, I, I did. I never had listened to him until like a few weeks ago, but there's this song called Chicago in the first 20 seconds of that song is how I would feel when I drank like that good. That song makes me feel like how I would feel when I drank. Uh, I say that because it didn't last like that part of the song doesn't last either. But like, 
what am I trying to say? I just fully have accept. I mean, I still have feelings of like, man, it would feel great to feel that again. And it would, because that's, I mean, alcohol made me feel high, you know, it made me, that is the addiction part. That's the part that I would chase. But I have fully like conceded. But I think you're right. I think I do think about alcohol a lot, but I have zero. My wife talks about this a lot is I have zero interest in actually drinking, but I do maybe think about it. I wonder what that dynamic is because I have zero interest in even tempting fate. Sure, because you don't want to, but there is, it sounds like there is a part of you that believes that you could possibly eventually do it again. And I could be wrong. No, I mean, I think you, but for me, unfortunately, I think you tapped a vein that's very honest and real. (laughs) But for me, I'm like, I cannot, there's, there is absolutely, I would throw my life away. Yeah. It would be over. I recently got invited to go to a bar with some friends. They're like, well, mm-hmm. let's go get, it's $12 all you can drink, which in my head, I'm like, where were these deals? I don't. $12 all you can drink. <laughs> it sounds like a criminal act to mm-hmm. be able to. <laughs> where is this? Where was this? Um, someplace uh, off Broadway in oh, Nashville. God. But uh, I think it's like Friday night for like X amount of hours. It's mm-hmm. all you can drink for $12, Sick. which. Yeah, it hurts to think about. But um, they were like, "Come on out!" And I go, "Why? Well, I don't, I don't do bars anymore." And mm-hmm. uh, he goes, "Oh, come on!" I go, "I've been sober three years. You know, I'm trying. I'm really trying not to put myself in that situation." He goes, "Well, I mean, one won't hurt you." And in my head, for I mean, a the briefest second, I was mm-hmm. like, "Well, yeah, one probably wouldn't hurt me." I didn't even want to drink. I had no interest in it. But there was just that click in my head of like. One probably won't do you in. Mm. <laughs> this is you thinking about, did I partner with the right person on this? No, project? I think that this is a good conversation to have because everyone feels differently about it. And, you know, you maybe, I don't know, but, you know, they would say in the rooms, they would be like, why don't you go try it? <laughs> People there are kind of ruthless. You know, I, I wonder because... Um, the friend that helped me get sober in China was in a program in China. Uh-huh. And he was telling me the difference between the programs in China versus what he faced in America was mm-hmm. less religion, much harsher commentary. And I was thinking about that. He's been overseas for 20 years. I don't know if he's accurate with that. I feel like everybody that I've talked to, their programs are pretty raw and honest. Well, yes, but some, and again, we're not affiliated with any, this right. podcast not affiliated with any sort of program, nothing like that. <laughs> I just happen to work a program. Um, but the program that I work, it, it depends on who's in the room. Yeah. Sometimes it's like real fucking churchy. And I'm like, this is fucking like, if, if there was a newcomer in there, I would be like, shut the, I want to be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, don't you remember when you were new? Like, G- Jesus wasn't the fucking answer. And I'm also not religious. So that, I think it depends on who is in the rooms and, and, what, and what meeting you go to. I say what program and where you're at doing yeah, that program. I I'm, think, yeah. I mean, Southern ones are going to be way different than... I just finished a uh, historical series on the prohibition in the U.S. and it gave a real interesting view on. I learned where the program, like the big program, started from, and I learned the backstory on that. Mm -hmm. It was very interesting. It happened during prohibition. All that came Mm -hmm. to light. I thought that was such an interesting way to look at 
where all that stuff started from. Um, shout out to the podcast I listen to, but you don't support us? We don't support you. No, 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 I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, it's no. American History Tell. It's just an, a historical look at prohibition and alcohol in America. Uh-huh. Um, but um, so moving forward from that, you know, I, I have these dreams and I've, I've struggled recently on shows working new material because I, I feel kind of stagnant. I'm wondering how much of this comes from I stopped smoking weed. So I'm now fully sober, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm tearing into new territory that I've never been in before. And for you, when you first started performing live without any imbibing, can you tell me a little bit about what that process was for you? I mean, I've done shows where I show up and I'm a little bit high or whatever. I didn't drink, but I was still, I still had my little vice to help me. I think, so I, I, again, I did not, I never did stand up when I was drinking. So mm-hmm. doing stand up was just new, completely new. So I don't have anything to reference with that, but like with improv and performing then it, just improv is different because you're not writing you're writing on your feet but I didn't have an issue doing improv I have more of an issue now performing than I did back then why do you think that is Mm, again going back to like taking things too seriously just trying to be uh feeling like where I'm at is not like I'm feeling like oh I should be better at this that's constant it's like oh I should be further along than what I'm currently doing so that like can can hinder my performance that can hinder my writing Mm. well then what about like the idea then for me because you you just said something for me that really connects is I should be farther along than I am Mm mm-hmm and I have a lot of what I call retroactive regret lately, where mm-hmm. I look at, ah, if only I wouldn't have spent that money on drinking, that time on drinking, that time being high, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. had I taken a better advantage. I used to work a club in my hometown. I was the only guy working the club. I was the feature, the host. I was doing all, and I worked with big names. Mm-hmm. But I was so focused on the party aspect of stand-up. This comedian one time told me, if you want to be a star, don't leave the club you just performed at. So I would just drink at the bar that I was at instead of leaving, going home or whatever. I would just stay until the last person left the club because I had no idea. I was in a space where I had no guidance in comedy. Mm-hmm. I was the... What me. does that mean? Don't leave the club that you... What if, does that mean? If you want to be the star, if you want, because the minute you leave that club, even where I was at in Columbia, Missouri... I worked at this club called Deja Vu, no longer open. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, it's a strip club in every yeah, other town. Yeah, definitely is Deja Vu Showgirls <laughs> is a strip club in Nashville. But in Columbia, Missouri, it was a comedy club. Mm-hmm. And um, I had worked my way in, started hosting, got my own show, featured, um, and all this. And I remember a road guy coming in, and he was like, if you want to be the star or like feel like a rock star, don't leave the club you just performed at because when you leave, no one's going to know you. Oh, that's so... But uh, that ended up... hometown weird shit. It is, but it ended up making me... Because I was young, impressionable. I had no guidance in comedy, so I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just me drinking with these losers 
uh, like getting hammered hoping that someone thought I was cool uh-huh. and interesting. And it, it's cringy, right? It hurts. Well, yeah, I mean, but I understand that. I mean, I get it. But it, it's one of those things where I think I developed this bad connection early with comedy of like, this is something I do and I'm proud of the work I do and I go do the work and then people talk to me afterwards or they don't and then I go home. But it's nothing bigger than that. Mm-hmm. But when you're drinking after the show and people are buying you shots and you start to feel important. Oh, for sure, for sure. And then I would walk out of the club and he was right. I would walk out of the club and go to my diner that was my favorite after the show. No one knew who I was or cared. And and, and you just, I don't know, put me in a weird relationship with comedy and alcohol mm-hmm. to where now when I go to a show and I don't drink, sometimes I kind of get fidgety like, I'm weird. I'm awkward. I don't connect well with the other comedians. Sometimes they seem to like me, but I'm in my head a lot about it. Do you have any of this when you go? I have all of that. I have all of that times a million. I just have to, I really try and focus on being nice Mm -hmm. to other comics and trying to just, you know, small talk is like not my thing. It's a nightmare now. Um, but it is definitely hard to connect with comedians that, you know, that's how they connect sometimes is, is through that. So it can be difficult, but the what I keep going back to, because I feel it all the time, and I have friends in the community, and I, it's taken me a while to make friends. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to understand, like, it takes a while to make friends in the community, and I'm here to practice my joke. Mm-hmm. And I seem to lately flock to like the women who will give me good feedback on my jokes and be honest with me. And when I've said this a million times, and of course, part of the reason I wanted to partner with you, I think you're hilarious. I think you're very talented, not only performer, but mm-hmm. you're very funny with the material you come up with. Mm-hmm. And when you go to these shows, and for me, I started out, I'm a, especially when I was drinking, I was this ultra gregarious person. Everybody was my friend. I could, where I'm from, we bust balls a oh, lot yeah. and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, when I got here, I was already sober. It was different in experience. It's hard. And I didn't know how to engage. But then I would go on stage with material that I know is funny in my head. The idea of it is funny. I'd get the concept and I know it's right. But then I go on stage and I haven't done anything before the show to kind of like be silly and loose. And so then I go on stage and I try to do it and I, I can feel that sometimes. Whereas that that was the one barrier that alcohol would sometimes, if I felt weird before I'd go on stage, I'd take a shot and I'd be like, oh, now I feel loose or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for me now, getting that headspace, do you struggle with that? Do you struggle kind of putting your head into a space where you're like, now it's time to be a little loosey-goosey, silly, oh, free-flowing? God. Because yeah. your material to, I mean, for people who aren't familiar, you're alty at times in a way where you have to be on board at the start of the joke sometimes. Not always, but you have a few that you're like, What's if you can't idea? get on board, like when you tell the jo- the joke about the dog. Like, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's an idea that like is very funny. Mm-hmm. But if you can't get on board in the beginning, it's going to be a rough ride. Yeah. But for you, when you approach that on stage, when you show up and you start performing you're running that joke the first time. I mean, you can't go in there and just be like, well, hope this works. You're not, surely you're not going just laissez-faire into it. Does, does that not hit you before you go I am trying up? to be laissez-faire. <laughs> I am trying yeah. to be like, well, I hope they like it. I like it. 
And then I'll listen to it and wonder if it works. But that joke's been doing great. With, you know, but it didn't in the beginning because I was working through it. Yeah. So I think it's just focusing on the process of, like, I have new jokes right now that I've been working on, and I'm not crazy about them. And I have been going to Mike's only the past three weeks specifically working on these jokes. Yeah. And I still am like, I don't know how I feel about them. <laughs> um, but... That I think is the point of like what you're talking about is like it doesn't like going and showing up and like hoping that the comics like my jokes. They're not. Well, I mean, all I can do is like do the best that I can and continue to show up and continue to work hard. And some of them will like my joke, but they'll never tell me um, or they'll never like say it. Um, I, I just think the focus is like focus on the craft and the community will come i i know that sounds weird but so do you think do you feel comfortable yet then just walking into a mic and being like this is what i'm gonna do this is like this is the joke i'm gonna do i'll always be nervous sure i just mean do you feel confident now that like because of course you show up prepared you show up ready to perform but do you feel comfortable walking into any room now and just being like I'm here. I'm not. All the nerves that aren't related to me actually doing the joke are silly no. and small. No, I don't. I don't feel that way. No, I mean every time. I I just have to make sure I try to be prepared before going to a mic, like writing down the joke fully. Yeah. But anytime I go, because I want to do well. Yeah. So no. You walk through the door though. What's your What's your thought process? You walk through the door, open mic. Depends regular. on the mic. I'm saying you walk in, you don't really know, like, you know the people there by name or whatever, but let's say it's not your, your normal crew of people that you're with aren't there, right? Mm -hmm. um, What's your thought process then? Because that can be so lonely for me. Do you know how many times I go to a mic and I feel lonely because I know some of the comedians, I know all of their names, but I don't chat with them. Yeah. I mean, I just would say hello and then focus on my joke practice the joke and hope that i don't fucking bomb <laughs> that's really that's such a healthy i i will be honest that i there's a lot of times where i'll sit there and i'll be like what am i doing but i love stand-up so much i love performing but that time from because i'm an early arriver to shows i love to be then I love you to get are the arriving energy. too early <laughs> i, I think that might be there. the problem <laughs> i love but i love that energy of why like I even get envious watching comedians kind of even comedians I have zero interest in or or literally zero respect for watching them jock back and forth with their buddies and stuff. There's a certain level. That sounds like your problem. You're getting envious before you even go on stage. So you're having these like feelings of like wishing that you were. I think you got to ask yourself the question right now with where you're at is like, do you want what? I don't think you can have both right now for me personally, because I don't now it is, it is so happened that now I have friends in the community, but I want, I had to make a choice. Do I want to be really liked by everybody in the community or do I want to focus on my jokes? And for me, it was one or the other and it still is, but now I have friends. Sure. And so like, I love my friends and I love supporting them. It's just, I had to make that shift because it was fucking with me. Yeah. 
So you might, you know, maybe get some friends, but not in the comedy community. You know what? You are right, though. This is something I have been exploring Mm -hmm. is I have. um, Well, my best friend actually has no relation to comedy at all. Outside of that, yeah, I've started to kind of venture into a world of non-comedy friends. But I'm always, I'm just always curious how, because also the people that I want to be friendly with, the comedians I want to be friendly with, mm-hmm. are not, is not even necessarily, not all of them are because of their personality. If I can like kind of joke with you for a minute at a show and then move on, that's the ultimate for me. But I, I don't feel that yet. But you're right. Maybe that's what it is. I have to like make that decision. But I get it. Like, I want to be liked. I want to be liked by everybody. That's why, you know, I'm a comedian. That's weird. That's, yeah. But I want people, you are right, though, because I'd much rather people like my comedy. No. Will that be the route that, like, that they... They like you. That they like me. You'd much rather have them like you. But because... Than your jokes. No, I want my jokes to be universal. Really? I, the reason, what I want is for what's people to... What comes before? I'm interrupting you now. I'm you're fine. What, what's, what comes before, though? You want them to like you first or your jokes? So I think the f- thing I'm facing is I was established where I was before. Mm-hmm. And I've done a lot of comedy a lot of years. And then mm-hmm. I came here where I'm n- unknown. Right. And so it's tough for me to be like, no, I'm good enough to hang out with the cool kids in Mm. the big sandbox. I'm good enough. What you guys are seeing at shows is me throwing shit against the wall to to practice because that's what they are. They're practice But that's what everybody has done. I know. But you just have not been here long enough. You're like, I "I I want it now. And it's like, I've been doing this for five years, Michael. And I'm telling you, this is like the first year that I've had like actual friends for five fucking years, man. You fucking baby. Wah, wah, wah. Fucking puss. You have really keyed in on a couple of like <laughs> very serious things for me. I think that, wow. Well, okay, so we're kind of running up against the end time here. Mm-hmm. So I want to I wanna touch on a couple things. Okay. Because uh, I know we were kind of sporadic through here. It ended up being a great episode of you just attacking me. And uh, I feel attacked. Good. <laughs> but I do want to, I want to touch on a couple things real quick and congratulate you for your project that's coming out. Yes. Thank you. Um, Very exciting. Can you give people a little bit of insight of what it is? Yeah. I made a sketch comedy film, I guess, uh, called the darkest hour and it's super fucked up and weird. I made it during the pandemic. I wanted to be able to do something. I've produced films and made lots of films and, I wanted to do it safely during the pandemic and we were able to do that and it was so fun and it's just a weird show. It's going to be on YouTube at some point. Right. Coming up. So keep an eye out. We'll post whenever it comes out. We'll put it on our socials. Yep. Thank you. So thank you. Absolutely. Congratulations. In a week, in a week or two. It's very exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely check out our social media. We're going to be on uh, Instagram. It's a uh, sloppy sober pod. We're on Facebook as well. Um, mm-hmm. You can also reach out to us on the socials if you have any questions about sobriety. We do have an exciting episode coming up where Allison is going to interview a local comedian who's also sober for years and also one of my favorites here in town. Allison, do you want to put anything out there in the world? No. Oh, well, thank you, world. <laughs> any advice, any last step advice for people? Who... Again, the, I don't know what I'm talking about. We're just having fun because we're sober comics and... We want to talk about sobriety and it's difficult. So hopefully if, 
you know, if you're struggling, there are programs out there. There are people out there. Uh, do your best to reach out for help. Yeah. The answer isn't perfection, just uh, progress. Progress. And uh, be sure to check out Allison on social media as well. She's Allison Insty, right? Allison Summers Insty? Yeah, Allison Summers Insty. On Instagram. Yeah, uh, Instagram. Also check her out with uh, Betcha Sketch, uh, oh, yeah. a comedy group. You guys have mm-hmm. been crushing it. And then fun. if you see her in, in your neighborhood, she will also verbally assault you like she did to me today. So. Oh, are you really hurt no, when I did that? No. Are you sure? Are you being I'm, passive aggressive? No, you didn't Verbally hurt assault? I actually am very happy with today's Verbal assault, Michael. Well, I have to have something on record in case this partnership goes sideways God and I can damn take it, it to the court. You know? Okay. <laughs> it's a protection for myself. I am actually super thankful for today's conversation. Okay. I am. All right. Well, I'm sorry if anything I said hurt your feelings. Oh, no. Oh, no. I know. You did but that's life, baby. Yeah.